So 1 Thessalonians has been a great study, and here in the closing chapter, um, we've been looking at what are the essentials for a happy, healthy, thriving church family. And family is the key. The Apostle Paul, he, he often refers to the church as brothers and sisters, to the brethren, uh, over 60 times in Paul's writings in the New Testament. Um, he's, he's using this language to talk about the church family. And fully half of those times are here in the, the first and second epistles that he wrote to, to the Thessalonians. And so, uh, family. And the big idea of this section is that we all have a role to play in the family of God in the local church. And toward that end, <coughs> Paul has been focusing on family leadership, and he's been focusing on family partnership, with the goal being that we need to, to edify, to build one another up, to pursue what is good for all. This is what we've been looking at for the last several weeks, and today is no exception. In order to do that, Paul says that we build one another up in specific ways. We've looked at that. Uh, we guard our hearts by specific practices, we've looked at that, and today what we're going to see is that those specific ways and practices by which we build one another up, they have results, and there's three results we're going to be looking at today as we close out the epistle. We're going to look at peaceful sanctification, we're going to look at promised preservation, and finally we're going to look at perfect unification. If you're taking notes, write down the first point, peaceful sanctification. There's a lot to see here. Verse 23 is where we left off. Paul says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That word sanctify, if you're given to taking notes in your Bible, you could circle that. Nearby, you could write, set apart for God's specific use. Set apart for God's specific use. In the Greek, the word is hagiadzo, and it literally means to be separated from profane things and dedicated to God for his particular use. The Bible teaches that sanctification happens in two distinct ways. Happens in two distinct ways. The first way that it happens is what's known as positional sanctification. Positional sanctification. I don't have a slide for that, but you could write it down. Positional sanctification. Um, the idea is this, that you have been set apart positionally if, and this is the condition, if you have surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what that is. When you come to the place where you recognize that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior, and you cry out to God to rescue and redeem you, and you surrender to God, well, the Bible says if anyone's in Christ that he's a new creation. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. And what happens in that moment is that you become adopted as a child of God. You then, your position changes. You are now separated from profane things, and you are now dedicated to God. That's positional sanctification. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 10.10. 10. God's will was for us to be made 
holy. The word in the Greek is hagiadzo, sanctified, set apart for God's particular use. That's God's will for us, that we would be that way, that, we, that that would happen in our lives. And how does it happen? He goes on, by the sacrifice of the body <coughs> of Jesus Christ once for all time. Understand, positional sanctification is not what you do, it's what God has done for you in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You cannot be separated unto God in your own strength, in your own power, by your own pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Isaiah the prophet said this, he said, we are all infected and impure with sin, when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Paul is talking about the natural state of men. And what happens is that even those that go to churches can fall in to the mindset. You might consider yourself a Christian today. But the thing is, is that there are those that fall into the trap to where they get into this religious rap of, I got to do good and I got to try harder. And I got to earn a right standing before God. Listen, that won't get you anywhere. There's nothing, the best, on your best day, you could, you could live your whole life like Mother Teresa and give your life to, to feeding the poor and, and helping the sick and all of these things. But if it's all your works to earn a right standing with God, it's worthless. means nothing at all. See, Isaiah is talking about the natural state of man apart from God. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. But the Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so we got to understand, Isaiah, again, says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear. In a natural state, you're separated from God. I want to just ask you to consider, as I did uh, the two services that preceded this, where you stand with God today. Do you know that you have been positionally sanctified, that you have been set apart to God? Do you know where you're going to go when you die? Do you know that? Do you know it for sure? Because here's the thing, you can know for sure. You can absolutely know for sure that you can be saved. See, because here's the thing, God doesn't want you to be separated from him. God, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, has gone to extreme measures so you don't have to be separated from him. He's holy, he's righteous, he's pure. We are none of those things. But Jesus came and he gave his life as a ransom for many. He, came his, he gave his life for your sin, and he gave his life for my sin. And the thing is, is that the Bible teaches very clearly that if you confess your sin, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Romans 10.9. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And so if I ask you the question, hey, you got hit by a bus today, do you, and, you, and you checked out, man, do you know where you're going? 
Do you know for sure that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? Today, you can make sure. I'm going to give you that invitation. Today, at the end of the service, I'll give you an opportunity to, to invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. So positional sanctification is that your position is now in Christ, that you have been adopted into the family of God. God no longer sees you as a sinner separated from him, but he sees you as holy separated to him, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Now, once you're saved and you are made positionally sanctified, you've been adopted into the family of God, the work of sanctification isn't finished. The second way that we are set apart for God's exclusive use is practical sanctification. Practical sanctification. See, whereas positional sanctification is something that God does for you, practical sanctification is something that God does through you. And Writing to the Corinthians, Paul kind of set it up this way. He, he started off pleading with them. He, he was saying, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness, your salvation, and then ignore it. So what he goes on to say is, he says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, <coughs> and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. That phrase, complete holiness, there in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, the idea is to bring to an accomplished end. It, it, it's to perfect. It's to execute. It's to complete. And notice, what does Paul tell them? He says it's something that we work towards. It's something that we work towards. See, here's how that works. Positional sanctification is accomplished through Jesus Christ's work in the past for you on his cross. But practical sanctification is accomplished through Jesus Christ's work through you as you pick up your cross. Okay? So, so positional sanctification, Jesus Christ's work on the cross, position, uh, practical sanctification, Jesus Christ's work through you as you pick up your cross. Uh, Paul told the Philippians, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not... Uh, as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul's not saying you've got to work for your salvation. He says you've got to work out your salvation. And the idea of that phrase is that you achieve it by, toll, by toil, that, it, that, it's, that it's sweat. It's, there's some sweat equity to, to practical sanctification. Um, we looked at this last week in... in uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. Uh, he says in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In those four verses, Paul is focusing on two things that God has done for you, one in the past and one in the future. He's saying in the past... Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins in your place, and so you've been raised with Christ. Positional sanctification is what's in view. He's saying in the future, you have the hope of being glorified together with Jesus Christ in the, in the life to come. So that's the past, that's the future, but there's a work that's to be done in the, presence, that, in the present. That's why Paul goes on 
saying to the, the Colossians, hey, there's stuff you got to put off, like anger and sexual sin and lying. And there's stuff that you need to put on, like love and mercy and humility and kindness and patience. And, and he goes on, he says, there's stuff you got to press on in in your relationship with the Lord. Prayer and having a thankful attitude are a couple of the key ways that he touches on that. And that's practical sanctification. It's a work that Jesus does, and that's what Paul says here. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. It's a work that God does, right? It's a work that Jesus does in the present with our cooperation. Now, I want you to keep in mind the context of this final chapter. Paul's talking about, look, we're a family. We work in family partnership, and the goal is that we're to pursue what's good for all. And in order to accomplish that, we've looked at Paul saying, hey, we build one another up in specific ways. We guard our hearts by specific practices. And there are results. The first one is what we just looked at, peaceful sanctification. Second result, result if you're taking notes, is promised preservation. Promised preservation as we engage in family, relationally, in, in employing specific practices uh, and uh, guarding our hearts with specific, in specific ways, we have promised preservation. Notice again what Paul says, verse 23, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, here it is. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Listen, here's, here's the thing. The context is that we're pursuing what's good for all. The context is we're building one another up. And sanctification that looks like that requires patience, it requires perseverance, and frankly, it's hard work. We've, we, we've looked at that, at the hard work of building one another up. But here's the joy that Paul is communicating here. He's saying, God's going to help you to do it. It's God who's going to give you the help. Paul says, Jesus Christ himself does it for us, he does it in us, and he does it through us. Why? Because God is faithful. Paul said to the Philippian church, he said, Be com being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you. Who's the he? Jesus. Hey, when you're asked a question at church, let me just give you a clue. The right answer is usually Jesus. Nine out of ten times, right? The he is Jesus. He who has begun a good work in you. Jesus began. What's the implication of began? That it's going to continue, right? That's just a starting point, and that's what he says. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Who will complete it? Jesus completes the work, right? Promised preservation is the idea. He, he, he who called you, uh, he's, he's begun a good work in you. He's going to be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That word complete that Paul uses in Philippians 1.6, it's the same word we saw in 2 Corinthians 7 in regards to practical sanctification, that the idea is to bring to an accomplished end, to perfect, to execute, and to complete. Here's what that means for you guys today. Very simple truth. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it, you can do it. God has promised to empower you to do it. I remember years ago, I came home from the fire department one day. I'd been gone for, for three or four days. And my kids just blew up the house while I was gone. 
they were tag teaming my poor wife, and, and they had just, and, and, she, and I got home, and she looked at me with desperation. She's like, help, you know. And so I'm like, hey, you, you, we, need to, we need some work to do here. Now, the kids, they destroyed the house all by themselves. They didn't need any help. But they needed help to clean it up. Now, when I told them, hey, look, you guys made a mess of this place. You need to get to work. You need to clean the house. They were overwhelmed. Here's what they didn't know. I was going to help them. I was going to help them do it. But I wanted their participation. And that's the idea, is that God wants your participation. And, and really, the overarching theme of this chapter, edification, building one another up. God wants to build you up. He wants to build up other people through you. And he promises to be faithful to help you do it. And so this is the idea, man. You're going to make it. You can do it. And the goal is we're going to pursue what's good for all. And so it results in peaceful sanctification. It results in promised preservation. And my third and final point, it results in perfect unification. Look what Paul says here, verse 25. He says, brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let me set the context for this. Because we're going through this in an exegetical way. We're stopping, we're pausing, we're digging into it. But remember, this is, just a, this is a letter that he's written to these guys. And so, <laughs> it seems like a long time ago that we were in chapter 2, but in the hearing of this letter, what would have been fresh on their minds is Paul's heart coming through to them. If you back up to chapter 2, remember there, what's going on, where Paul's coming from when he wrote this letter in the first place. Verse, verse 17 is where we'll pick it up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul says, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in present in presence, but not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. See, what's happening, the context, if I can remind you, is that when Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, he's, he's following up from having planted this church in the not-too-distant past. He only had a few weeks with them to get the church planted and growing and to put some leadership in place. And his heart was longing for, man, I want to know how you're doing. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. I want to make sure you're growing. And he was able to send Timothy. And Timothy was able to come back and give him a report. And now he's writing this letter to further encourage them. But the whole idea here in his closing is basically what he's articulating to them. Look, if I were there physically, I would do and I would say all of these things in person. But I can't, I can't be there in person. So what do I want you to do? I want you to be praying for us. I want you to be greeting one another with a holy kiss. Now, that's not a sensual thing. That's a cultural thing. But get the heart of it. It's a we're family thing. That's what it is. It's a beautiful we're family thing. And this is what he, it's, it's look, you do all of these things. 
what you're going to experience is this perfect unification. And so that's what I want for you. You getting together, pray, and, and greet one another with this kind of affection. And, and then he says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. But Paul's saying, look, you know, if I were there with you, I'd be instructing you in the things of the Lord. So here, I've written this, this letter to you. Make sure that everyone reads it. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. He said last week, don't despise prophecies, right? And this is the prophetic word from God. We know that. It's been preserved in, in, in uh, the canon of Scripture. This is, this is the Holy Spirit's word to this church through the Apostle Paul. Man, if I were there, I'd be doing all these things in person. Since I can't be, you do all these things. And what's the result? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Such a beautiful heart. Paul's saying, look, you guys do it. The overall implication for us as we close out this letter today, guys, we're family. We're family. We need each other. The whole goal is to be built up in our own faith, to build other people up in their faith. It always happens in the context of relationship. One of the things that I did when I planted this church was I was very intentional about wanting to get people connected relationally. You see it on our foyer when you come in. What are we all about? Leading people to know, love, and serve Jesus. We're all about discipleship. It's the one string on our guitar. And discipleship doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in the context of family. It happens in the context of family. Um, I'll illustrate that with a personal testimony. Brenda and I, years ago, were going to a church in Temecula. It was a little church, about 25 people. And it was a fantastic church, and we experienced great community and great joy there, and we actually were being challenged to grow in the context of, of what was happening there. But the problem for us was a logistical problem. This church was 25 miles away from our house. We were in a season of life where we had three kids, a couple of them, I think, in diapers at that point. And... Um, and it was, it was just really difficult for us to have the kind of relational connectivity that we needed to, to grow dynamically. And, and what added to the problem was something that Paul articulates to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15.33. He says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And so we had this wonderful company at this church it was in Temecula, but we could only be there really one day a week. And then the rest of the week, the company that we had were people that were, you know, in, in geographically in our neighborhood, our neighbors, our friends there, but they had no interest in the things of God. They had no interest in, in drawing near to the Lord. They were more interested in, in drinking beer and partying. And, and the, the fact of the matter is, the people, uh, hear me on this, the people that you are most connected to and influenced by are the people that you're close to relationally. Relationally. And so if you spend time with the wrong people, don't be surprised if you start doing the wrong things. So what did we do? Well, we said, man, we got we to gotta find a body of believers that's closer to home. We didn't have really that available to us. So we did the next best thing. We started a church in our living room. Put our name on the pastor's wanted list down at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. We're like, hey, we need a pastor. <coughs> and why did we do it? Because we needed friends. We just needed godly friends. 
And you fast forward 15 years later, we got 6,500 of them. Like, thank you, Jesus. Like, other people were in the same boat as we were in, you know? But you need that too. I want you to hear this loud and clear. And, and right now, you know, God, God's blessing us. He, he has been adding daily to the church such as should be saved. Our front doors are wide open, and, and we have lots of people coming in. And you might be in a position where you come into a larger church, and you're going, man, uh, you know, how do I get connected here? Well, I'm going to tell you how to do that in just a half a second, but let me just further prime that pump by saying this. When I started having a relational connection on a daily basis with other Christians, it changed our lives. It absolutely transformed our lives. Dave Shepherdson, a good friend of mine, he now pastors Calvary Chapel Nuevo. He and his wife, Pam, we began to spend time with them and with their families relationally. My kids probably don't have a single memory. It doesn't include their kids in the memories. But that, God used that relationship to grow us up and to grow us closer to him. And that's what I want for you as your pastor. I want to see you, I want you to be connected relationally. Larry Osborne said this. He says, people aren't looking for a friendly church. They're looking for a friend at church. See, I want you to get connected in relationship. Let me invite um, Shane and Annie Boyd up. Uh, you can welcome them up, Shane and Annie. So as they're making their way up here, Shane, you guys um, moved here from Iowa. Yep. How long How long you been? Uh, two years ago. Two years ago. So you knew nobody here in right. town. Your family thought you were crazy, right? For sure. <laughs> you, so you blow into this town. Yeah. Uh, first of all, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Uh, we're Shane and Annie. Um, <laughs> my wife is a rock star, stay-at-home mom, homeschooler of five kids. So that's awesome. Right on. Yep. I'm in the car business. So when Pastor Ted comes up and says, a sleazy car guy, that's me. So <laughs> I always feel a little bit sad, but no. Uh, yeah, so uh, we've been going here for two years. Um, uh, just, yeah, go ahead. Well, so you, when you came here, um, how did you go about connecting? And, and I'll combine the two questions. How did you go about connecting, and why did you make it a priority? Because, you, you know, here you are from another state. Yeah. You don't know anybody. Yeah. Like, you know, what, what, what's the thought process? Well, we've, as a married couple, we've been part of three churches. Uh, when we were young marrieds, we were more just consumers of a church. And then our second church, we had kids and we were contributors a little bit, uh, you know, served and, and did that kind of thing, but uh, weren't 100% bought in. And then we decided that when we came, we were gonna just be 100% bought in and uh, just, you know, if the church is open and something's going on, we're gonna be there. Uh, and that's kind of how that whole thing started. Okay, so um, what's the fruit of that? What has been the fruit in your life in, in saying, okay, we're, we are going to connect to a local body of believers? I think for me personally, uh, it's helped me grow a ton. Um, as a guy, we don't do a lot of, you know, guy stuff. Uh, with other <laughs> believers, we're just too cool for that. So, uh, you know, so being able, I mean, we've, we're a part of a small group. Uh, you know, we're best friends with those people that have been part of that. And, uh, you know, I constantly am texting with those guys. I mean, you know, as iron sharpens iron, we, you know, brothers sharpen another. So, uh, that's, it's huge for me personally. Uh, and as far as fruit, uh, you know, being parents, we try to set a good example for our kids. And so 
you know, our kids seeing us serving in church and being a part of church. And, you know, so now, uh, like I said, we have five children. So they all are on the same page when it's time to go to church, which having five kids, if any of them agree on anything, it's awesome. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, coming to church is a, is a good deal. And, uh, yeah, so I think that we've seen a lot of fruit in that. And they try to always come and be a part of it. And, right. Yeah. Annie, you were sharing with the first service um, how you strategically inspired your kids to get connected relationally. Yeah, um, we um, told them that if they could tell us other kids' names when they got into the van after church, that we'd give them three M&Ms per kid's <laughs> name. Per name. And we also, I was thinking about this too a little more, we kept telling them, don't expect somebody to reach out to you. Maybe you're the one that needs to say hi to another kid. You don't know who else might be lonely or new or needing friends. And so um, that was good for them to think from that perspective too, yeah. not just me, 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 but who, who needs me. Um, and then um, I think we've made a lot of friends by being served through Awana and youth group. And, but also we've made some kind of unexpected friends by serving, like Shane plays the drums. And so that's helped us to meet a lot of people that maybe we wouldn't cross paths with as naturally, or um, I serve at Awana, so I've met a lot of friends there that I might not see in other places during right. the week, but that's so. So that's key. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, um, it's been said women don't need a reason to get together, they just need a place, but, <laughs> but guys need a reason to get together, right? And so serving has, has given you that reason, and it has opened up venues of, of connectivity and friendship. I know you serve on the worship team. You're on the drum kit today. Um, and you guys, I mean, you're one of those, those interesting groups because we always want to get folks connected. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But we want to see you get connected. So we emphasize, hey, get involved in a serve team. And, and we're emphasizing for these serve teams you know, community, just the, what's the, it's not just about a warm body coming and doing a task and, you know, hurry up, get your stuff done, all right, get out. You know, it's, it's being in fellowship with each other. So you guys, you've done that and you're in the interesting experience with the worship team where it's a combination serve team, but it's also your own community group too, because you guys have a time of gathering and studying the word together every week and, and so on. And, uh, and you guys have engaged relationally through your service on the, serve, on the, on the worship team, right? You, you guys get together, you know, what, four times a year or something like that for, for just, just community, right? Where you're, where you're gathering together for a meal, you're hanging out and, and connecting. Um, and your kids, what, serving, your serving, how, how has it impacted your kids? Um, I think the way that Shane articulated that it's an example to them that we're not here to be served and we're not here to be consumers, but that we've got a job to do, even as kids, that they can be the one that's sharing God's love or being welcoming or being hospitable. Um, and then for us and for our kids, it seems like whatever we do for service, whatever like the small amount of work it is, the blessings that you get in return are always so much bigger and you can't really yeah. measure them. Um, we went through a difficult time last year where I was hospitalized and we were just shocked at the amount of people that brought us meals and took our kids to the park and um, people that we wouldn't have known without getting plugged into some of these service areas. Amen. So. Amen. Right on. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Family. That's the idea. Family and getting connected. Guys, you know, we, we, when we encourage you 
hey, get involved in serving the Lord in some capacity. There's two big reasons we do that. Number one, because it's biblical. God's given every single one of us a gift, and we are called to be good stewards of the gift and use it to build up the body. The Bible says that very clearly. I got verses all day long on that. But the other big reason is because it's beneficial for you, just as Shane and Annie were sharing, how, how you get connected to community, and pretty soon what you discover, you're not looking for a, friend at, for, for a friendly church, you're looking for a friend at church, and, and you have those friendships. So I, I want to encourage you if, you, if you aren't connected and serving in some capacity, that you should do that for your own well-being, for your soul's sake, that you should get connected to a community group. We've got midweek groups, you know, all throughout the week. We've got men's studies and women's studies and, and home Bible studies. We've got classes. And we've got a marriage retreat that's coming up. Now, a lot of you have signed up for the marriage retreat. And that, that, that is dynamically good for several reasons. One is our marriages, man, we, we need to, to be fed and to be encouraged and exhorted to grow in our marriages. But you know what else is that when you go, what you're going to do is you're going to make friends. You're going to get connected relationally, and you're going to discover what so many others have discovered, that when you get engaged relationally as family, which at the end of the day, if we're not a family, then what's the point? Really, what's the point? We, we, we don't function to grow a big church. We function to connect on a relational level and, and to exhort one another and encourage one another. And so, man, I would say get, get focused on that. I want to close with this. Jesus said this in his high priestly prayer in the garden as he's preparing to go to the cross. He's talking to the Father. He says, now I'm no longer in the world, <coughs> but these are in the world. He's talking about his, his apostles. And he says, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given to me. Here's the get, that they may be one even as you and I are one, that we be connected relationally. I want to close with four questions, as always. We'll put them on the screen. They'll be up after the service as well. Question number one, are you positionally sanctified? Positionally sanctified. Jesus' work in the past on the cross to adopt you as a son or daughter in Christ and take you from the position of being separated from God to being separated to God. Are you positionally sanctified? Question number two. What areas of practical sanctification need attention in your life right now? Practical sanctification, the work of Jesus in the present through you as you pick up your cross. What is the thing that he's putting his finger on in your life? This right here, practically, you need to, to start working out. Third question. Who are your friends that you regularly spend time with? A corollary to that would be, who are the friends that your kids regularly spend time with? Do they bring you closer to Jesus? And your fourth, the fourth and final question, how can you better cultivate and invest in godly friendships?